morning, good friends. I'm happy to be with you again this morning for another podcast. I got good practice last week on making a video, but I'm way more comfortable with this format, so today a podcast it is. This was a much more difficult week for me than any I've spent so far in this lockdown, and I'm not really sure why exactly. Nothing much has changed, same old, same old, yet there's been some extra niggling anxiety gnawing at the back of my mind all the time. Boredom? Restlessness? Maybe. A little bit of fear for both myself and my family, my parents in particular? Yeah, probably. Yes, there's definitely some of that. Worry about all of you? For sure. Mostly, though, I think it's a feeling of helplessness or the inability to help anybody. Whenever I'm feeling anxiety about things going on around me, I usually turn my focus outward to helping other people. An outward focus usually helps me to feel useful and lessens anxiety for me. Being locked in and isolated makes it difficult to feel useful and helpful in any way. Of course, I realize that we can all do good for others even when we're at home, but it's a different kind of help than the in-person, face-to-face kind that I've engaged in before. I'm certain these feelings are not unique to me. Perhaps some of you are experiencing, experiencing this too. It's like being uprooted, like the ground is pulled away and we're just floating along in a disjointed kind of way, blown along by the winds of fate and incapable of affecting anything or anyone positively. Well, I'm here to tell you that this feeling is an illusion. You can affect others, even if you can't touch them physically. I received a note this week in the mail from one of our friends in the church that touched my heart as if they had been right in the room. This person thanked me for helping them to get through these tough times through the messages of God's comfort that I've been sending out. And they told me how much it means to them that I care about them and give them hope. (laughs) Well, after I finished blubbering over the kindness of the note, I realized how much we do touch people by small kindnesses. A phone call, a card, a note of encouragement. It can mean so much to somebody, and though we might never know it, it matters. It gives us strength to carry on. It gives us hope. And this leads me right into our theme for the next few weeks, hope. I'll begin with our Light of Christ reading this morning from Daniel, chapter 2, verse 44, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible. But in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will be indestructible. Its rule will never pass to another people. It will shatter other kingdoms. It will put an end to all of them. It will stand firm forever. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, thank you for this day. We pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your spirit, that we may grow in the love and knowledge of you and one another. We pray that we can hold to you and trust in your promise for a better day to come. In Jesus' name we pray. So those of you who watched my message from last week 
know that I am sharing with you a sermon series by Adam Hamilton, who is the pastor of Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. The series is called Hope, Living with Confident Expectation. I feel like this is just what we need right now, and I know it is what I need. <laughs> Last week, we explored hope in the book of Psalms, and this week we'll be looking at hope we can find in the prophets. Our scripture lesson today, also from the Common English Bible Version, is Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 11. The sounds of joy and laughter and the voices of the bride and the bridegroom will again be heard. So will the voices of those who say, as thank offerings are brought to the Lord's temple, give thanks to the Lord of heavenly forces, for the Lord is good and his kindness lasts forever. I will bring back the captives of this land as they were before, says the Lord. I firmly believe that God gives us hope, primarily through the actions of other people. And just like that note I received last week that changed my whole outlook, I've seen on TV all manner of people who are giving hope to others by their actions, both big and small. Perhaps you've seen some of the video diaries made by healthcare workers on the front lines who are helping patients struggling with COVID-19. These doctors, nurses, paramedics, EMTs, and others have made real for all of us what it's like on the front lines of this pandemic as they care for the desperately ill people day after day while sometimes not having all the personal protective equipment and supplies they need to keep themselves safe. It's one thing to have the trauma of seeing so many people die and feel powerless to stop it, and it is another altogether to add to that, the fear of becoming ill oneself or of carrying the virus home to vulnerable family members. The other night, I saw a report about a man who sent a note to one of the nurses he had seen on TV. With the note was one N95 mask, the kind that are in such short supply. The note thanked the nurse for what he was doing to help people. The man explained that he had five masks that he'd been saving for some time. He said he only needed four for his wife and family members who were immune compromised. He was sending on the extra one so that the nurse would be able to protect himself from the virus. Now, this is a small thing, I know. But what hope that small act of kindness must have given that nurse? That, my friends, is just one example of the love of God extended from the hand of one flesh and blood person to another, to a neighbor that was miles away and previously unknown. A class of first graders who were homeschooling in New York City each made brightly colored origami hearts with a personal note on each one for the ER team in one of the local hospitals. The doctors and nurses posted pictures of themselves holding the hearts. Although their faces were covered with masks, you could see the smiles in their eyes as they held those tangible signs of love and hope in a world turned upside down. I have seen bags and bags of food being delivered to hungry families and parades of cars to celebrate special days in someone's life. At 7 p.m., people around the world stand on balconies and in the windows in cities and towns to cheer the first responders and healthcare workers and give them hope. 
There are many people right now who are not only hanging at the end of their rope, but are having trouble even finding the end of a rope to grab onto. There are people who are out of work and don't know how they will pay the rent or feed their families. There are people who are struggling to care for special needs children day in and day out without the help they are accustomed to. There are elderly people who live alone, cannot go out, and are desperately lonely and frightened. For many people, a hot meal delivered by a kind person can make the difference for them. Bags of food or an N95 mask are love and hope from the flesh and blood hands of God's people. Remember our memory verse from last week from Psalm 40 verse 1? I put all of my hope in the Lord. Well, our hope is holding on tight to the conviction that despite our current circumstances, the future will, in some meaningful sense, be better than the present. You might also remember that we talked about Walter Brueggemann's three seasons of life found in the book of Psalms. The seasons were orientation, when all's going well, disorientation, when something bad happens and things are going badly and life is all upturned, and finally, reorientation, when God has made things right again and people are readjusting to newly stable circumstances. The prophets operated primarily in the season of disorientation for the people of Israel. When we talk about the prophets, we're talking about the four books attributed to the major prophets and the 12 books attributed to the minor prophets. The difference between the major and the minor prophets is only in the amount of material that's attributed to them. In other words, the major prophets, Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, wrote the largest books. These are the books that we will draw hope from today. I guess we should start with what was going on in Judah during the times of the major prophets. It was a, it is, it was and is a very long story, but the short version is like this. In 605 BCE, Egypt was a great empire that included Northwestern Africa and extended to the, to the Northeast to include Palestine. The tiny country of Judah lived in Egypt's shadow and was under its general protection as its vassal. In that year, Babylonia, with its powerful king Nebuchadnezzar, was extending its power. The two great empires, Babylonia and Egypt, were fighting for control over the valuable trade routes between Africa and Asia. And at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BCE, Babylonia defeated Egypt, and Judah was forced to become a vassal state of Babylonia and to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. As part of the agreement, a group of royal and noble families was sent to Babylonia, or as exiles to Babylon, actually, the capital of Babylonia. And this group included Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. In 597 BCE, King let me say this right, Jehoiakim, who had continued to resist the Babylonians, surrendered, and he, along with political and religious leaders, skilled craftsmen, and many of the educated people of Judah, about 10,000 of them altogether, along with all of the treasure of the temple, were sent to Babylon into exile. Ezekiel was part of this group of exiles. The next king of Judah, Zedekiah, 
at first remained loyal to, the, to Babylonia. However, he chafed at the continued payment of tribute to Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled by allying with Egypt against him. This was a big mistake because in 587 BCE, Babylon was victorious over Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with the king of Judah for his defiance and destroyed the temples, palaces, and the capital city of Jerusalem and carried off the bulk of the rest of its people to Babylon to remain in exile as punishment for their rebellion. Jeremiah was the prophet who warned Zedekiah that this terrible defeat was coming, but he was imprisoned by Zedekiah for this prophecy and he remained behind in Judah after the exile. As for the prophet Isaiah, he is believed to have lived about 100 years earlier before all of this started in 605. Um, And during that time, Judah was under the thumb of Assyria. However, the later chapters of Isaiah predict the fall of Judah to Babylonia and predict the eventual restoration of the people to their homeland. So how was that for a very quick history lesson? But hearing all that, it's, it's easy to see why this period in Israel's history was a season of disorientation for the Jewish people. For in a period of about 20 years, they've been banished to a foreign land, have lost their treasure and homeland, have watched the line of David be destroyed, and have seen all the promises made by God seem to slip through their fingers. What hope is left for a people so defeated by every possible circumstance? Yet the prophets not only foretold of these calamities, they also offered hope to the people that God would bring them through. They were not alone. They could have hope that despite their current circumstances, the future would in some meaningful sense be better than the present. This is why the prophets have spoken so powerfully to us down through the ages. Their message of hope and redemption by God's love is universal to us. Who hasn't at some point felt like they are living in exile? We read their words of hope and see in them our own circumstances, in our own discomfort and loss. There have always been cycles and seasons when we have walked through disorientation as a people. Just think of the things that have happened to us as Americans in just the last hundred years. We've experienced the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, two world wars, a cold war, the Korean war, the Vietnam war, other regional wars and conflicts, 9-11, the war in Afghanistan, the assassination of JFK, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., the Great Depression, 13 recessions, including the housing collapse of 2008, the AIDS epidemic, and now what might come to be known as the Great Lockdown. This is only a partial list of the calamities that have affected us as a nation. And what about the exiles that we have experienced on a personal level? Illness, the death of a family member or friend, divorce, mental illness, a job loss, All of these and more can make us feel lost and disoriented at one time or another. Today, as I was writing this, around 6 million people who were employed six or seven weeks ago are now out of work and have no income coming in. 
The estimate is that this is affecting so far one out of four families and is likely to worsen before it gets better. We're told that there will probably be at least 18 months and maybe longer until a vaccine can be produced. It's no wonder that we feel disoriented and hopeless. We know that sometime we will have deliverance, but it is human nature to want it instantly. This is particularly true for us in the 21st century when we are so used to getting what we want and need quickly. We don't have to build a fire, we can just turn up the heat. We don't have to go to the library anymore to look up answers to the most difficult questions. We can just type in a Google search and have the answer in minutes. We don't have to plant a garden and wait for the plants to grow. We can just go to the grocery store and buy the vegetables we want already cooked in a can ready to pop into the microwave to reheat. We can even get from here to California in just a few hours by plane. However, the people of Israel were told by the prophets that their deliverance would come. It might not be today and it might not be tomorrow, but it was coming. If not for them, then for their children. If the people of Israel could wait 70 years in exile before returning to their homeland, then we can probably wait 18 months for a vaccine. But it is hard when we are not used to having to wait. Still, the prophets give us reason to hope that we will be delivered if we remain faithful and do not give up. Daniel is told by Nebuchadnezzar that he must give up praying to God and instead must begin to pray to Darius, the god of Babylon. But Daniel refuses to turn from the Lord and will not pray to Darius. When the king finds out that Daniel has refused to stop praying to God, he orders him thrown into the den of the hungry lions. Except, as we know, the lions refuse to attack Daniel and he is spared. He tells Nebuchadnezzar that it was God who saved him from the lions because of his faith. Daniel tells another story about his three companions, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar has made a giant statue of himself and orders everyone to bow down before it. Well, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego refuse to bow before anyone but God. Nebuchadnezzar is furious and orders the three men to be burned alive inside a fiery furnace as punishment for their crime. The furnace is primed and fired and the men are thrown inside. But lo and behold, they are not burned. And miraculously, a fourth figure is seen inside the furnace, protecting them. It is the angel of God and the men are spared. Daniel and his friends face their predicament when all hope seemed lost with hope and trust in God, and they were delivered. In Ezekiel, we read about his vision of God walking with him in the valley of dry bones that crackle and crunch beneath his feet. God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel replies that only the Lord knows if the bones can live again, but God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to those bones and tell them to live. They become covered with muscle and sinew and skin right before Ezekiel's eyes, and then the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the four winds, and the bodies begin to breathe, and suddenly 
there were where there were only dry bones a moment before, now there was a living, breathing army of people standing before Ezekiel. This is more than a story for telling resurrection, though. Truly, it is a tale of hope for the exiles in Babylon. In Ezekiel 37:14, God says to Ezekiel, "Human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I am opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. Common English Bible. God promises the people that they will again be a nation living in their own land of milk and honey. It will turn out to be 33 more years before the exiles can return to Israel. But these words are meant to give them hope and they will get back. They can say to themselves, whether I make it back or not, my children will. The future will be better than the present if I hold on to hope. These stories from Daniel and Ezekiel remind me of the spirituals sung by enslaved African Americans. They had every reason to give up, to think that their lot would never improve, that they would always be under the harsh yoke of slavery. Yet they sang songs with the hope of deliverance, often retelling these same tales of the prophets. It might not be in their lifetime, but maybe it would be in their children's lifetime. They had hope. Eventually they would be delivered and they would be set free. They believed that their future would be significantly better than their present. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the elders of the people in Babylon. He told them that the Lord had said that they should settle in their new home, marry and have children, and increase their numbers because in 70 years' time, they would return to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, though, they should promote and pray for the welfare of Babylon because their future depended on its welfare. Now, this might have seemed like a tough pill to swallow for these people longing for home, but in Jeremiah 29, 11-14, the Lord promises them, I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. Common English Bible. It might be a while, promised God, but I will bring you home. Martin Luther King Jr. also talked about reaching the promised land His famous words still ring out through history. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, 
Longevity has its place, but I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land, and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Those are powerful words of hope, even though Dr. King knew there would be some waiting, and it might not be for him. Still, he held on to hope. Here is the comfort that we can take from God's promise in Jeremiah. Whether we are experiencing collective exile or a personal exile, whatever it is, God will give you a future. Whatever it is, it doesn't have the final word. We'll end today with some words of hope from the prophet Isaiah that were written to the people in exile in chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the power powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Our memory verse this week is from this passage. It is Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. I'll be sure to post that on the Portage Faith United Methodist Church Facebook page for you. The Lord will give us the power to push forward when we feel we have no more strength. When we feel like all is lost and we're ready to give up when we feel like we cannot even wait one more minute for deliverance from the situation we're in. God throws up a lifeline and then he pulls us close. We have to hold on to him. Remember that word kava that I talked about last week? That word in Hebrew that means hope and wait? Wait for God and he will strengthen you and help you to rise up. Trust him and you will make it through this. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12 puts it like this. Return to the stronghold, prisoners of hope. So the question is, are we prisoners of hope? If we are, then we incarnate God's hope and love. Just like the prophets, our words and actions can make a difference for people waiting for their equilibrium to return, for things to get better, for a future that despite our current circumstances, will be better than the present. We can help make things better while we wait. Just like the nurse who sits next to the bed of a person who is dying, or one who offers a hot meal, bag of food, or spare mask to someone in need. When we reach out to someone with a call or a video chat, a drive-by celebration, or just a plain old card of thanks or encouragement, These are the things that makes God's love and hope real. In times like these, when we are in exile, 
these are the things that really matter. Let's pray. God, please help us to wait upon you, to put all of our hope in you, to cling to you as one clings to a lifeline. Help us to run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. And as your hope wells up in us, O Lord, help us to be instruments of hope to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and all those who are in need. We offer ourselves to you and give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've talked a lot today, and I probably wore out your ears. So until we meet again, I'll close with this benediction based on Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. Lord, now let your servants depart in peace according to your word. For our eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples for all your people. Amen.